Mission 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF, Heather, and our tribute to Twin Peaks and the things in San Francisco that we want to keep after the pandemic is over. Twin Peaks, um, we've been there. We've had some excitement there. What are your first Twin Peaks thoughts? It was horrible before the pandemic. It's turned into a paradise during the pandemic, which is pretty much the only thing that fits into that category. Nothing is better than it was before the pandemic now, right? I can't think of anything. I I can't think of anything either. It's Twin Peaks and that's it. It is um, just absolutely lovely up there. I will even say that since the pandemic, Every time I've gone up there, there's no fog. It's like just a beautiful view. I know. View. Like the fog went away. Well, the guy who was Carl the Fog moved to LA, so maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. Carl of the Fog, thank you very much for <laughs> clearing Twin Peaks for us. We're going to talk a little bit about Twin Peaks. We're going to talk about some changes that have been proposed and what we think about them. I have some history of Twin Peaks that I'm going to share with you, Heather. There's a waterfall involved. Whoa. Yeah. Um, you'll learn about that. And we'll also talk about the pandemic things that we want to keep. I feel like the the changes back are going to sneak up on us because there's going to be some loud, focused people who are going to go to City Hall and say they want all their parking spots back, and then we're going to lose everything. So I feel like we need to talk about this now, Heather. Yeah, we're getting a jump on it. We know that there's going to be fighting and discord. So we're um, trying to speak out now and save all of this cool stuff that emerged from the pandemic. There will be no fighting or discord on this podcast, only deep (laughs) thinking. Except for the end. (laughs) Except for the end. We do fight at the end, that's true. Just deep thinking about the future of San Francisco. I'm Peter Hartlob, here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome back to Total SF, another pandemic episode. It's good to be back. Yeah, so we're talking about Twin Peaks today. Um, I know you have a lot of opinions about Twin Peaks. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to talk talk for half an hour straight. We'll we'll talk about Twin Peaks, some pandemic things that we want to keep. But the first thing I wanted to ask you was just like your pre-pandemic impressions of Twin Peaks. Do you remember the first time you went? Do you remember maybe if you've gone for some stories? Um, I pretty much had no pre-pandemic thoughts about Twin Peaks. It was never somewhere that I I went on a regular basis except for stories with you when we'd be out exploring the city. Um, But I don't remember ever going there for fun or like a social thing. Um, And even maybe occasionally taking out-of-town tourists, but not even that very often. Um, but the, my most vivid memory is when we were doing our 49-mile um, uh, scenic drive in one day without the use of a car, um, and we got scooter rides up Twin Peaks, like in super foggy weather, and we got up there, and it was just a bank of white fog, and it was freezing, and it felt like it was raining even though it wasn't um, and then we had to walk all the way down in the freezing cold fog. Yeah, it was like a different microclimate up there. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was actually really weird. It was like being in a different part of the world. Um, that's, that's the roll of the dice you take when you go up to Twin Peaks. I always thought of it as like just a, another tourist place. I mean, I think of Twin Peaks. 
I maybe go up and have a decent time, but as I'm going down, I'm thinking about the like smashed glass that I saw yeah. next to someone's car. Um, and, and then, uh, and then it became absolutely lovely. Yeah. I forgot to mention that the only time I ever wrote about Twin Peaks was because of, it was a hot bed for car break-ins and it was literally covered in shattered glass. So, um, that, I think that's the only reason I ever wrote about it, but yeah, then it became magical. Yeah. Magical. I went up there on a bike ride with you, but I had been hearing about it from you and seeing the pictures and stuff for days. I feel like like Twin Peaks shutting down, like something in you grew, like it changed a part of your <laughs> life a little bit. It did, because um, the first few months of Shelter in Place were so awful, and there was like nothing you were allowed to do except exercise um, and go outside for fresh air. And so that became like a real refuge for my family, because it's not very far from where I live. And we would... Um, and still do walk up Portola and then um, around to the top. And the kids love it up there. Um, I've gone up there with my husband on our own for the occasional day date. Um, I took my sister for the first time up there last weekend with her kids. And um, everybody loves it. So many of my friends, like it's the family destination. Yeah, I mean, and I don't see the shattered glass there. There's, you know, skateboarders up there, which maybe bugs some people maybe there's a little bit of graffiti that doesn't bug me at all i think great no, skateboarders are cool all. that like that yeah. increases my enjoyment of a place if a bunch of skateboarders show up um i think i've been up there more during the pandemic than in the five years before it i think it's just lovely and that's not the history of it i mean it's been a tourist place i went back in the archive it has been a tourist place forever and there have been forces in the city trying to make it more of a tourist place all the way Ooh. through. Do you, want a, do you want a little Twin Peaks history, Heather? I do. <laughs> okay. Um, so first of all, John King has written about it a couple times and written really, really good stories that I will um, put them out on Twitter. It uh, had a road on it really early on. There was a lot of talk after the 1906 earthquake. There's sort of that Burnham plan where they're going to make the city more like radiating out like spokes. Twin Peaks was like going to be a centerpiece of that. I mean, and, and, and from, from a long, long, long time ago, you know, they've been building roads up there. It's been a destination. So one of the earliest things, Heather, 1934, the Downtown Business Association. I don't know if this is the same one that did the 49-mile scenic route or drive, but came up with the Twin Peaks waterfall idea. All right. Whoa. A cascading waterfall going from the top to the bottom lighted with lighting underneath it and at the bottom they're going to um, put a uh, gorgeous grotto and large reflecting pool wow um, that sounds like what they have in golden gate park at still lake yeah except like much much but bigger much taller. and going down like the the you know one of the biggest hills in the city so um this is a quote that they're trying, we're trying to build something that will rival the Acropolis of Athens and the Pantheon of Rome. Whoa. Yeah. Keep in mind, this is 34. So this is before the Golden Gate Bridge came up and San Francisco had a really big chip on their shoulder about um, 
being like New York and Paris and having a big thing. And we didn't have the Golden Gate Bridge yet. So they're like trying to get there to like Eiffel Tower. So <laughs> and it will be a giant lighted waterfall. Yeah, huge lighted waterfall. We have a photo of it in the Chronicle. Um, that did not happen. That did not go very far. It was one of those Let things- Let me just say that I love waterfalls, but I love them when they're natural, like at Yosemite. Yeah, and I like it when you have the choice of going to see them in a city. Like, you can go to Stowe Lake and check it out. Like, this thing would be, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it'd be like Sutro Tower. I mean, you just, everywhere wow. you'd look, there'd be this lighted up waterfall. Um, did not happen. There was talk of a planetarium up there. Everybody just wanted to build something up there. Hmm. 1947, they were talking about building a planetarium. That ended up in the Steinhardt Aquarium. And then just basically throughout history, everybody's tried to put a restaurant up there. Oh. Yeah. I, the, the most recent time was 1980. There was talk of a museum on one floor and a restaurant above it. And the museum, one of the proposals was to do like an earthquake museum and then have a simulation of what it would be like in the city while the city's falling down around you. And then you go out and look at San Francisco. <laughs> Well, they have the earthquake simulator at the Academy of Sciences now, which is where it belongs. I'm glad they didn't put that on Twin Peaks. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. How do you feel about a restaurant up there? I don't really want anything up there. Yeah, I'm with you. I just wanted to check. <laughs> <laughs> in case I was secretly harboring wishes of a giant waterfall and restaurant on Twin Peaks that I had never mentioned. Yeah, no, I, but, but never talk of closing it down. I couldn't find that anywhere. Um, the the kind of most recent thing that happened was that 2016, they call it like the figure eight pilot mm -hmm. program, which was a partial closure. Maybe you can describe that better than I can. Yeah, so um, there's two entrances, one on Burnett and one the south one is on uh, Portola. You can get up Twin Peaks from either side and they both go up to the top where there's obviously two peaks and around them is a figure eight roadway. Um, and so they shut, uh, I think it's the Eastern part of the figure eight two cars um, back in 2016. And then only for the pandemic did they shut the whole thing to cars. Um, and the reason was to keep people from congregating up there um, at the start of the pandemic. Once it was shut down, how did, how did things change on the road? How did things change up at the top? Well, I never went up there before, but um, <laughs> the occasional time I did, it was just like we said before, covered in shattered glass, trash. It, it was a real party spot, and um, and so it was just uh, tourists would go up there during the day, and then people partying at night, leaving a lot of trash and broken bottles and stuff, and um, it was known for attracting um thieves to break into rental cars, and then they could just easily escape down either roadway and... Um, I talked to neighbors who would go on hikes up there before the pandemic and literally find just strewn backpacks and empty wallets everywhere. I always pictured it as like in Hansel and Gretel, the line of crumbs um, leading you along. It, you could see just like a line of of tourist belongings just scattered. <laughs> so it was just not a place locals really ever hung out. And now that the cars can't get up there, um, there's no car to break into. And so... No shattered glass, no empty backpacks, and it's just um, full of families, joggers, bicyclists, kids on scooters, teenagers on skateboards, um, people hike, and it's just super fun. And you actually hang up, hang out, not just in the parking lot at the viewpoint, but there's people on both of the peaks and on the figure eight and on both um, entrances going up. So it's just filled with people enjoying it. You know, last year I wrote about 
um, the future of San Francisco as a walking and bikeable city. And I talked to members of um, uh, Walk SF and, and uh, uh, the Bicycle Coalition. And the one thing they said was, okay, the Great Highway and JFK Drive, those, those can stay as they are. Twin Peaks is a little bit tougher because there's no way for people to get up there. There are ways for people to get the museums when JFK Drive is closed. There's, mm-hmm. there's really no way if you're, if you're, um, if you, if you can't walk, if you are too old to get on a bike, Twin Peaks is one that even they expected to open on some level. And that's kind of the news that we got last week. Yeah, just the other day. So um, Muni had been doing a survey online where people could choose a number of different options of what should the future of Twin Peaks be. Um, I totally understood the issue of um, some way for disabled people and seniors to get to the top because we shouldn't just block it off to anybody who can't um, jog or bike up there. But um, what I liked the idea of was um, keeping was reopening Burnett, which is the northern entrance to cars because it's much shorter, and then keeping the parking lot open to cars so they could park there, and then it's full access to the viewpoint that is famous, you know, Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz, and you can see Mount Diablo up there. So um, the key, like, tourist spot is right there. So that northern bit could be open to cars and then keep the Portola Gate closed to the south, which is much longer, so a lot longer access, and that would include the whole figure eight we talked about before, would remain closed to cars um, for people to um, enjoy on their bikes and walking and stuff. But and the majority of respondents agreed with me, and that was the number one choice on the survey, but Muni actually did not go <laughs> with their own survey results, which I don't even know why they did the survey in the first place then, um, and what they are going to recommend to the commission in March for a vote is the opposite of what I just said. So um, the northern part would be closed to cars still, and the whole southern part would be open. Another weird thing about that is that it's the neighbors on the north who've complained that um, cars being stopped at the gate has meant more people partying in their neighborhood and trashing it, more car break-ins, low-level crime. And so you'd think that since they were a pretty loud voice that it would make more sense for cars to just keep going at that point up to the top and not be parking in their neighborhood. So it's very confusing. I do not get it. I, I don't imagine that they're going to be super happy with it. Um, the other the other reason that I saw, I read the report, and it looked like the Portola side is where a larger tour bus can make like, you know, a wider turn, like mm-hmm. a larger tour bus can't get up on the other side. So that mm-hmm. was another reasoning for that. But I don't know why we're prioritizing um, hypothetical tour bus tour buses when tourists aren't even coming here right now over you know regular uh, residents and also um, I think a solution to that might be to um, since so many Muni is changing so much of its bus routes and numbers right now like the whole system is looking different uh, why not make one of those buses over there go up to the top of Twin Peaks on Portola um, leaving every half hour so that would be another way for tourists to get up there um, but you wouldn't have those giant tour buses just, you know, going all the time. So yeah, that like could be another compromise. It's the, is it the 37 Corbett that That goes already, like halfway up, but you yeah. could easily rejigger it to go all the way up. Tourism, I think there are things that you see on a bus. You go across Golden Gate Bridge on the bus, parts of Golden Gate Park. Um, Pier 39 is something you experience. Then there are other things you kind of discover at ground level. Um, and I think 
you know, the Mission District is not something you should ever put a tourist best in. I think maybe Twin Peaks can be like that. Maybe that can be just one of the things that you discover on ground level. Either you take a city bus like everyone else or you hike up it or bike up it. And also, I've, I've literally never heard someone visit San Francisco for Twin Peaks or even have it on their top 10 list. Like, we host tourists um, because my husband's family's from England, and so we've had tons of people come over from there um, who are new to the city, and I've never <laughs> heard them say, let's go to the top of Twin Peaks. Like, there's so many other things they'd prioritize. And if they're really worried about getting tourists back, open the cable cars. What do you think about tour buses maybe just during the week? And then families have it on weekends. Yeah. The city can go, can go up on Friday afternoon and clean everything up, you know, have some kind of system like that. I, I just think there's a compromise that isn't let's turn it back to what it was, because that's what this feels like. I mean, I know it's a little bit more pedestrian and bike access, but I feel like the spirit of it is going to turn it back to what it was. And we've seen what it can be. I understand why cars have to come back. I always think about um, we had a conversation on this podcast with um, Will Durst and Debbie Durst and Will's recovering from a stroke now and Debbie, they drive. I remember them talking about all these banks of bikes coming in and what it meant to their lives. And I always think about them when I think about, you know, car access and not going too far with taking everything away from, from their ability to go and see things. I think you can have a lot less car access than they're giving, make it much more of a biking and walking first type of place. Maybe let the tourists in during the week if they absolutely have to go in there. I, I, I think there are ways that are that are less about turning it back because I feel like this is turning it back. And I think like what we've seen with all these slow streets and Great Highway and JFK – I don't think we should be turning much of anything back. Um, I don't either. Our city's never going to change if during this giant tumultuous year, like none of the silver linings last. I'm just worried that this is setting a bad precedent for deciding all the other things that have cropped up in what their fate is. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, let's talk about that. The things that we want to see stay the pandemic changes that we think should last forever um and i'm gonna let you go first twin peaks (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna add jfk drive and the great highway these um my favorite spots during the pandemic have been those three which have been shut to cars and there's already arguments over what happens to them i just really encourage muni if you're listening muni um find some compromises to calm traffic allow disabled access, but overall keep these great spots um, and the benefits that they've brought the city. That's going to be a battle, but I hope we do the right thing. Great highway, outer sunset neighbors are really frustrated because a lot of cars are just using their streets as to drive as fast as they used to do on the great highway. So I get that. That would be frustrating. Um, I think Muni's working on some traffic calming measures out there, so hopefully that'll solve the problem. But it's just so fun, and it's one of the few flat like totally long flat places in the city um, where kids can bike. I've seen so many little kids learning how to um, ride their bike. I talked to Supervisor Hillary Ronan recently, who was always scared of riding a bike, and um, she went out there with her family. She posted about it on social media. Um, 
and rode a bike for the first time in decades and felt like so much safer there with no cars and it's flat and you know just a straight shot and it's just like one of the few places like that in the city so I think we should really keep it yeah I'm talking to my dad about he's 86 and we go on bike rides I would never have taken him in the city other than maybe along the Embarcadero yeah. Um, we did Embarcadero along there up to the Presidio, and I'm talking with him about going down Market Street and through the Wiggle and into Golden Gate Park and maybe even all the way to Ocean Beach and Great Highway. I would have never thought about that. And the more of these places that they open up, the more people are going to change their lifestyles like you're talking about. And also, the more of the places that open up, the, the less it's going to be people concentrated in one place. Um, mm-hmm. JFK Drive, one of the big problems was with the roller skating craze in the 70s and early 80s, it absolutely turned it into this madhouse, you know, because that was really, it was the it place to go, but it was also one of the only places to go if you were on skates. Well, if you've got all these different places opening up, and we're doing more with parks, and what they've done um, right around Mission Bay, and we have these slow streets, even like destination slow streets. I think like the whole city can have that vibe and then it kind of mm-hmm. spreads out and takes away some of the problems. Yeah. And it it lives up to um, the kind of city we say we are. We say we're transit first, not car first. Um, we say that we're progressive. We care about climate change. We want people to be outside biking and walking. So let's make that safer and actually possible. Yeah. Well, that, that goes to my number one um, thing that I want to keep, which is the slow streets. And that's already sort of happening. Um, but I just love the idea of like Page Street, Minnesota, some of the ones that have really, really been hits, that those become kind of destination slow streets and those stay. Um, and then maybe some of the other ones where the residents haven't been using or they don't like it, maybe some of those go away, but then you start adding new slow streets and start talking about what the next one should be. I know they're doing that right now, but what I don't want to see is all of a sudden we get a hold of this thing and then a bunch of people who are really vocal, who want their car access back, go to city hall and suddenly it's all gone. So I I don't want that. I don't think that's going to happen, but. Um, I think Muni decided three will be permanent. I know Page Street is one. That's my favorite one. It's really been turned into a community center. Like I wrote about the cello concerts that happened there. Um, There were Christmas trees displayed in the middle of the street in December. Um, There was some kind of um, concert the other day for inauguration. It's just like a community gathering place. And I think that's really neat and it should stay. Yeah, and I I hope they kind of lean into it. I mean, coming out of this when it's a little bit safer to plan things, you know, plan a block party. Um, Minnesota Street, I love what our friend Mac Allen Mm -hmm. did and his kids and his wife Holly, where they set up that solar system walk. And it was just like Mm -hmm. a little grassroots thing that they did. But that got me out to Minnesota Street and really got me to understand that neighborhood better. Um, I, I, I just hope that they keep these. I hope like, you know, I'm bringing my grandkids to slow streets and yeah. and kind of the what you're talking about, the porch concerts and stuff like that actually expands. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, though, that some have worked and others just seem to annoy neighbors. And so um, I think the ones that are popular with the residents themselves should definitely stay. Yeah. Um, the one I most want to stay is Pacific uh, in Alameda, which is the slow street Where you're the of, mayor. of which I am mayor. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what's your next thing you want to keep? I want all those um, currently empty 
wood boxes we see <laughs> in the middle of streets to stay, otherwise known as parklets. When outdoor dining was allowed, um, a lot of restaurants were building those so that they'd have somewhere to serve since indoor dining was only briefly allowed and wasn't considered very safe, so customers weren't really doing it anyway. Um, <clears throat> but outdoor dining is a lot safer during the pandemic, and a lot of places spent a lot of money and time building these um, parklets, which are basically um, kind of wooden platforms and, and sides um, overtaking parking spaces. And they were really popular in the fall. And um, and then outdoor dining shut, and now they're just empty. It would be a shame if those were not allowed to stay permanently. The ones that were successful, I think, should just be a permanent thing. Because we'd say we want to be a European city where people hang out outside in plazas and you know, outdoor dining is just like a given. Um, and so why don't we actually do it? Yeah, I, and you mentioned the investment. I, I would be so angry if in four months we hear, all right, take them down. We need the parking spots back. It's like those people put money into those, and a lot of those restaurants are going to be in the hole. I mean, I know restaurants in Alameda where one family to keep paying their employees, they sold a piece of property. They wow. should be allowed to not only you know get back to where they were but make a little extra and if those those parklets are going to do that then i think they should stay and they haven't gone i thought they were going to get dumpy and you know run down and stuff like i see art going up on them more and more yeah i love the one on castro street that's painted like a rainbow Um, a lot of them are super artsy with murals and they're really cool and a lot of them also um, have been designed like actual rooms with um heat lamps and kind of like fake grass and they look like you know outdoor gardens in a way they're really neat yeah i'd love it if the city like instead of you know talking about whether to close them and having meetings where a bunch of people are going to be vocal who want their parking spaces i wish the city would just like lean into it and go okay let's have a contest to see who has the coolest parklet and yeah maybe we should do that contest maybe we should do why should the city do we should do that we are way more creative than the city. And okay. we actually get things done. We don't spend five years on a project. Yeah, we have a, a very low um, staffing, though, so it's really easy <laughs> to get something done. It's you and me texting. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one controversial. You're not going to like it, but let what? me explain myself. Don't tell me it's about Star Trek Four. No, it has nothing to do with Star Trek, but you shouldn't have brought that up. That might be my <laughs> next one. Um, I, want, I want some of the Zoom events to stay. I've actually found that um, some of the Zoom events are the types of things that I wouldn't have been able to go to, especially as someone who doesn't live in San Francisco, and it's kind of a bigger deal for me to go out and spend a night there. Um, I really like the library thing that we did. Like, I mm-hmm. would do one of those a month and be totally happy. Um, as a fundraiser, I thought um, the Children's Fairyland fundraiser with Rafael Casal and David Diggs. And the the um, uh, hardly strictly uh, mm-hmm. festival, um, I ended up like learning so much about children's fairyland, and I could go to ten hardly strictlys, and I would not have learned as much about the history. And there was something about the emotions of it and the creativity of it. I kind of want these Zoom events to keep going, and that doesn't mean I want to stay in my house and never go out again. I mean, I'm going to go to a movie like every other night, but. Um, I actually like the Zoom events, and I don't want them to go away. Talk me out of it. No, I hear you. Um, Two conditions. I wouldn't want any of those things to not have an in-person element. Like, 
Hardly Strictly would be lame if it was just on Zoom all the time. So maybe like every October, there's a little element on Zoom, but the main thing should be in Golden Gate Park in person. And also I think um, that will only feel fun to me anyway when we're not on Zoom all day long for work and school. So um, when Zoom becomes a more a less frequent occurrence, then it will be better. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I just think there are some advantages to it that maybe we're not thinking about because we're being robbed of the other stuff. But like the E40 too short versus um, if I were to go pay for a ticket, maybe I don't have good seats, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a whole house. You sit and watch it and you're on social media and everybody experiences it equally. And I don't know, there there, have been positive things. So I'm... I'm, I'm pro Zoom. I don't want it to go away. My Let's... favorite thing on Zoom is yoga classes because um, I do them a lot more now that I just um, don't have to go anywhere. And <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have to build in the travel time, so I'm a lot more likely to do it. Yeah, and I have friends I talk to that I wasn't talking to as much. I mean, I don't know. There have been positives with the Zooms. Um, mm. All right, let's each do one more. I really want outdoor fitness classes to stay. A lot of... Um, like dance classes, aerobics, that kind of thing have moved outside, which is still allowed in shelter in place. It's like one of the few things we can do. As I told you, I've been doing some dance classes in Dolores Park, which is very unlike me. Um, But I want those to become like a regular thing because I just think we should be outside as much as possible. And whether it's outdoor dining, hiking up Twin Peaks and not getting run over by a tour bus or exercising in some kind of dance class, all that should stick around. I miss my gym, but um, but I hear you. I don't see any negative to it. And if it's getting more people out and a different group of people are getting more exercise, then I'm all for it. And I'm super jealous of all your classes because you keep describing <laughs> them to me. You have to come. I can go? Yes. Um, I was just at Roryography last Friday, and it was just this great feeling because he played um, Like a Prayer by Madonna, which is my karaoke song, in case I haven't told you that. And... Um, as it's playing and we're dancing, the J Church goes by, which I think is still the only Muni train operating. And behind, I could see Sutro Tower with its lights flashing. And I was like, this is fun. This is San Francisco. The world is still okay. Okay, well, tell Roryography I'm, I'm coming. You're going <laughs> to kick my Anytime. butt. Um, you're, I'm sure you're in much better Roryography shape than I am. <laughs> uh, my last one, and again, a little controversial, I want the masks to stay. I'm sorry. What? No way. <laughs> I kind of like it. First of all, as an accessory, I like it. I don't really like my neck. I'm getting older. This you know, is I like almost like... as controversial as the fact that you love Star Trek for. No, 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 not, not that controversial. <laughs> I always thought about like, well, I'm not old enough to wear an ascot yet, but I don't want to wear scarves all the time because I like the mask. I don't want to. But wear you're just it. talking about your neck thing. You don't want at people. No, to be but I do want people. That the other thing is, is like I've always been. I'm not a full-on germaphobe, but I don't like getting sick from people unnecessarily. So I would love it if, like, whenever someone's sick on Bart, or if you don't want to get sick, if you've got a trip coming up, you just have your mask and you pull it up, like I'm doing now. You know, I I think I'm going to keep wearing this like buff mask thing even after this is all over. I think that's just going to be my look. Are you going to hang out with me? Uh, that's going to be tough. But um, yeah, I'll still hang out with you, but I am not wearing my mask when I don't have to. And I actually want to have a mask burning party when we don't have to wear them anymore. I think we should have like a huge bonfire on Ocean Beach where we just burn everybody's masks. Okay. Um, 
San Francisco has bad history with mask burning. The flu came back the last time we did that. But. Well, we'll make sure this time. Okay. Um, all right. I, I'm with you on the mask uh, burning aspect celebration. I just, I want to While you wear it. your mask. I, I want to still have the option <laughs> to have it. And then if I'm sick, if other people are sick, and I just kind of like the way it feels around my neck. I wear the buff, so it's a little bit more. I feel like a, the buff is a guy thing. My husband wears that too. Um, I, I don't think I ever see women in those unless they're jogging. Yeah. Um, but the I always wear the kind you have to put around your ears and are super annoying. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to handshake anymore either. It's like elbow bump and foot bump and stuff. No more handshakes. I'm done. <laughs> I, I did it in the first half of my life. I, did. I miss hugs, though. When I saw um, my sister went to choreography with me on my birthday, and she brought a present for me. And afterwards, she gave it to me, and I just like naturally gave her a hug. And then we both were like, <gasps> like <laughs> we yeah, just I'm hugged. A, Am a, I going to get arrested? I'm turn but you um, in. <laughs> she was like, that kind of felt good. I think that was my only outside household hug this whole time. Well, I think we've solved um, San Francisco's problems. We've given um, city leaders <laughs> something to think about. And um, yeah, we got it. We got it figured out. Yeah, they should just leave it up to us. I 100% agree. Um, very good to see you again, Heather. Um, you too. We will do this live someday. We will not do all of our podcasts by Zoom. And um, I'll see <laughs> now you. Now I at- know you'll have your neck buff on for the rest of your life. I will. I will see you with my neck buff <laughs> at Roryography. <laughs> Talk to you later. Darling, it's 2 a.m. It's time for closing. The cops, they're all sideways. And I think you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com pod. <laughs>